Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading tonight is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel in the fire. For a child has been born to us, a son, given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Robert. The Lord be with you. I want to welcome you here to our Christmas Eve service tonight and wherever you came from to get here, whether you're gathered with us in person or for those of you who are watching online, I want to welcome you and extend Merry Christmas to you. Would you pray with me? Loving God, by the gift of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us, open our eyes and our minds to learn, like Mary We pray that we would take these words of the prophet Isaiah, we would find ways to treasure them, ponder them, dwell upon them. Through Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. In 2008, Time Magazine did a fascinating interview with the late John McCain. And in the course of the interview, they got around to asking questions about his personal journey of faith. And in response, as part of his response, Mr. McCain shared a powerful story that occurred while he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Here's a snippet of what he said. When I was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, my captors would tie my arms behind my back and then loop the rope around my neck and my ankles so that my head 
was pulled down between my knees. They often left me like that throughout the night. And then one night, he said, a guard came into his cell. The guard put his finger to his lips, signaling, he said, for me to be quiet. And then he loosened my ropes to relieve my pain. The next morning when the shift ended, the guard returned and retightened the ropes, never saying a word to me. A month or so later, on Christmas Day, I was standing in the dirt courtyard when I saw that same guard approach me. He walked up, stood silently next to me, not looking or smiling at me, and then he used his sandaled foot to draw a cross in the dirt. We stood wordlessly looking at the cross, remembering the true light of Christmas, even in the darkness of a Vietnamese prison camp. I love the power of that story because it reminds me again and again that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how gloomy, that the darkness of the circumstances of Mr. Kane and the struggles that he went through could not be eclipsed by the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. The passage that Robert just read for us, Isaiah 9, is really the backdrop for a very, very dark chapter for Jewish people living in Jerusalem and Judea during the early 8th century BC. I don't know how many of you have spent time around the book of Isaiah, but I've always struggled reading chapters 1 through 39 because it is laced with doom and gloom and wars and rumors of wars. The Assyrians are coming. The Babylonians are coming. It's pretty dark. There have been times in my life when I've gone through some very, very dark chapters and I turn to the book of Isaiah, but I start from chapter 40 through 66. And it is such a contrast to the, to the darkness and the doom, of gloom, doom and gloom of chapters 1 through 39 to this powerful sense of hope, this powerful sense of a better day coming when you start reading from chapters 40 through 66. Chapter 9 illustrates for us this tug of war between two irreconcilable forces, darkness and light. And I don't know where you are in your journey in life. Chances are there might be somebody here today who is thinking, I'm at the end of my rope. Things have gotten so bleak, things have gotten so dark that I don't know if I'll even make it into the new year. And if you are in circumstances like that, and all of us at some point in time can identify with circumstances like that, where we think the sky has fallen and there is no more hope. Well, this scripture, believe it or not, leads us into hope. Isaiah tells us that people are walking in darkness. And it's not because someone failed to pay the light bill. 
People are walking in darkness, not because somebody said, oops, I forgot to turn the light on. I forgot to flip a switch or light a lamp. The darkness that we're reading of here in, in, in Isaiah chapter 9 is really spiritual darkness. And this kind of darkness in the book of Isaiah manifests itself through people's hatred and their thirst for war. The darkness is in the world, yes, but Isaiah points out that the darkness really comes through people into the world. And as I reflected on that, it reminded me of something I had read years ago about, about the great theologian and rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, lived in Austria right before the start of the, 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 the onslaught of Nazism and fascism. He witnessed the, 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 the terror that was, that was waged against his fellow Jewish people. And people who, knowing that about him, would come to him often and say, so tell me, Rabbi Heschel, where was God during the Holocaust? How could a good God allow such pain and suffering in the world? And his response, he would often say, the question isn't not where was God. The question was, where was you? Where were you? Where was humanity? And I think what he's trying to say and what Isaiah is saying is that the darkness that's in the world, it comes through us. It comes through people. Just look back on the year 2023 and think about the, the many examples of inhumanity and darkness that we as a people committed against each other. The mass shootings the greed, the grinding war in Ukraine, the horrific actions of Hamas in Israel, Israel's response, and the many lives lost on both sides, Palestinians and Jews. Think about the hatred that we see day after day, the violence in our streets, the suffering, the sex trafficking, and on and on the litany, the examples of darkness all around us. In fact, what I did, I read a few verses in chapter 8, and it really opens it up as you get into chapter 9, because in chapter 8, Isaiah describes the people as desperate. They're trying to find a way out. They're trying to find something to solve their problems. And so instead of turning to God, they turn to mediums and they turn to magicians. And then chapter 8 ends with this colorful description of the condition of the people. Let me just read a few lines for you. The people pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. When they're hungry, they will be enraged and still curse their king and their gods. They will turn their faces upward, or they will look to the earth, but see only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's the backdrop. And Isaiah 9 opens up with this line, the people, they're walking in darkness, they're sitting in darkness. It's literal. It is spiritual. During the Second World War, 
people living in England and Europe, somebody at the end of the first service told me that in Long Island, they did the same thing. People took radical safety measures known as air raid precautions. They adopted large-scale self-imposed blackouts. These blackouts were particularly important during nighttime bombings because they made it challenging for these enemy pilots to navigate and to identify targets. But either way, it must have been difficult. That's self-imposed darkness. Many of you might remember this past Thursday, December 21, we all experienced the shortest day and the longest and the darkest night of the year, what we call the winter solstice, for those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere. That again is a natural kind of darkness. But the kind of darkness that we're referring to is one that is endemic to our nature and who we are as human beings. And as we drive around our communities and our neighborhoods, we see all these homes beautifully decorated with these Christmas lights. These lights are not just decorative. They carry deep symbolic meaning. Friends, even if you grew up outside of the orbit of the Christian church, and today that is more so the case than ever before, where more and more people are growing up outside of the orbit of the Christian church, there is still something very powerful and alluring and compelling about the message of Christmas. Doesn't matter what century, doesn't matter what country, doesn't matter what cultural moment, there is something about the message and the music of Christmas that just touches people in a very deep place. Billions of people around the world in various languages are singing some of the same songs that we're singing. And why is Christmas so appealing? More than any other time of the year, we have the lights, we have the carols, we have families coming together, we have the exchanging of gifts. It evokes within people this longing for something more, this desire to fix things, this desire to be reconciled if the relationship is broken, this longing to experience peace or to be at peace or to bury the hatchet, bury the anger, move away from malice toward reconciliation, this desire to give and to receive forgiveness and to be welcomed, whether it's into the community of a dinner table or into the community of a church with others. Something about Christmas. Even this week, my wife was in the supermarket and this lady just looked at her and said, you know what, why don't you go ahead of me? Judith was shocked. She said to the woman, Merry Christmas. Something about Christmas that evokes that yearning for our better selves. Now, any other time of the year, maybe the woman would have said to Judith, excuse me, the line starts here. But that's the beauty of the season, the beauty of the message, calling us into the light, calling us to something better. Without the light of Jesus, without the light of Christ shining into our world, not only would things be dismal, they would appear hopeless. 
and unending. But the beautiful thing about Isaiah 9, if you were listening to the reading, it, it isn't focused entirely on the darkness. It shifts the people who walked in darkness, the people who past tense sat in darkness. This great light has now come. Darkness being eliminated by the brightness of that light. And that is the central theme I would offer to you in our lesson today. It's the birth of this child. Again, we're not talking about a physical light. We're talking about this inner spiritual light, this, this awareness, this enlightenment that comes through the coming of Christ comes not from us, it comes from beyond us. And the message of Christmas acknowledges the darkness, but it is into that darkness that the angels came, lighting up the sky and announcing good news. We cannot do that by ourselves. You may know people, I know people, we have had experiences where we try to be our own captain for our souls. We try to chart the course for our lives and we say, by golly, I have this degree, I did this in my life, I can figure out these problems in my life. And people try all kinds of methods, meditation and therapy, and those things are good. But ultimately, it doesn't solve the deeper, deeper needs that we have. The message of Isaiah 9, the message of Christmas is that God loves the world and God was thinking about you. If Jesus didn't come, I'm telling you, if Jesus didn't come, the story of Christmas would be one of those great American stories where we could say, well, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. If that's the message of Christmas, if it's about what we can do to change our lives, then that kind of message is going to crush us. It would sound something more like that Santa Claus Christmas carol that we sing, the Santa Claus, he, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, and then the the, the hopeful message in the hymn says, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out if you're naughty or nice. That kind of message crushes an individual because we're never good enough. No matter how much we try, no matter how we try to live that perfect life, we will never be good enough. And if Jesus didn't come, then we would be left to our own efforts to change our lives and to save ourselves. But the message of Christmas, thanks be to God, is not about us. The message is not a God helps those who help themselves kind of message. The message is that light has come. Let's hear this one more time. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Notice, it doesn't just say that a child has been born. It also says a son is given. 
We're talking about a gift. You wonder why we fixate on gifts, especially this time of the year? The greatest giver, the greatest lover gave us a gift. And this gift can be ours if we receive it. If we receive it. Receive it as a gift of grace. Tomorrow is Christmas Day. And in many homes, including in our homes, if you come to our house, there's a Christmas tree and there's some gifts under the tree. These gifts will be given and they will be received. If you made a gift, if you purchased a gift for someone, what that means is you had that person on your mind. If somebody is going to give you a gift tonight or tomorrow, what that means is somebody was thinking about you. Christmas is all about giving. Christmas, the Lord tells us that God was thinking about us when he gave his son. Unto us a son is given. Almighty God was thinking about us. Notice what is so special about this gift. We're told by Isaiah that authority rests upon his shoulders. He's not a weakling. He's able to save us. He's the God of authority. And then notice his names. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His, his authority shall grow. It will not diminish. It will not recede. It will grow continually. And there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. That is a, a time in the future. Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, his kingdom will grow and a day will come when there will be endless peace and he will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The message of Christmas and of God's Son tells us, yes, we have failed, but God is greater still. Where we failed, God triumphed. Where we're weak, God is strong. In John's gospel, we're told that in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. So there is hope. There's hope for the world. There's hope for Israel. There's hope for Israel and Palestine and the Ukraine. And there's hope for you and there's hope for me. Because the light has come. The light of Jesus Christ shining in your heart and in mine. How can this light become ours? And I ask that question because not everyone has experienced the gift of God's Son. Not everyone has done that. I think about it this way, and if I had my keys with me, I would show you. But I have a set of keys that I have in the robing room. And I pull those keys out, I get into my car, gas-powered, crank it up, and wherever I direct the car, the car goes. Here's what Jesus says to you. Here's how you can receive that light. Jesus will say, I want you to give me the keys to your life. 
you don't drive the car anymore. You're going to sit beside me, and you're, gonna t you're not going to tell me which way to turn. I am now the Lord of your life, and I'm now going to show you the way you must go. I'm going to show you the path you must take. I'm going to show you the life that I have in store for you. But first, give me the keys. That's the invitation. That's how you come out of darkness into the light. You surrender it to Christ and say, Lord, you are the mighty God. You are the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. I give you control to my life. That's the invitation from the Lord on this Christmas Eve night. He wants to take the darkness away. And Rabbi Heschel would say, the darkness in our world recedes when we begin to shine as light in the world. And that's how he lived his life, right up to his death. Almighty God has a gift for you, my friends. And you've never received that gift before. This is the night in which to do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's children say, Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh God, you see so clearly. You see the emptiness of our hearts. And they are empty until you fill them. You see, O oh God, that all desires are thwarted unless they crave you. And so give us light and grace to seek and find you that we may be yours and you may be ours forever. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.